Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minute, where we get the opinions of a generation. I'm your host, Ahaz Sharaf, and this week we discuss the impact of news media with Eliza Yetterbowman. Hey, Elijah. Um, hey, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote good. that down like at like 12 yesterday. It's a, it's it's a, a wrap. wrap. <laughs> All right. Elijah, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Elijah Yetter Bowman. I am a director, a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill, and I like to ride my bike a lot. Oh, sweet. Um, so what do you consider as news media? Like, is it just the printed word? Does it include like CNN and Fox News? Does it include the Daily Show or BuzzFeed articles? What, what do you consider as news media? So that's a good question. There's a, there's a lot of things you could qualify. I mean, I'd say, you know, let's get some perspective. In mm-hmm. the past, I would say news media was pretty obvious, right? It was in clear publications, so newspaper, or you'd see it on a television, right? right? Or radio broadcasts. And that was kind of it, right? People didn't get a lot of other news, but now... With the internet, we have websites that can crop up either from known previous publications or, you know, independent people. Right. Right. And there's incredible variation in the, you know, reliability of these sources. And one interesting part is in the past, you know, because the publication means were expensive Mm -hmm. um, or difficult to reach large audiences without shelling out a good amount of resources, you had some decent faith that what they were saying had pretty good authenticity or they'd done some homework right Right. nowadays (laughs) anybody could just pop in their phone and tweet something or post to their blog or make a whole website that's entirely their own fabrication right and how do you confirm the veracity of that right I, i guess in that sense like Right now, we always hear the phrase print media is dying because everybody wants their information immediately. You want to know what's going on in the world as soon as possible. But so do you think that it is better to have print media as a source as well? Or do you think that this online revolution is the way that the future is going to go? I mean, I definitely agree with the idea that it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. So it's convenient, right? That's pretty much the best aspect, right? It's convenient for the producer who's making that. It's also convenient for the user who's finding it. But at the same time, because it's so convenient, because it's so easy, you know, you, you open the floodgates to the less verifiable sources. Right. And so people can find something sooner but then they have to take that extra step of verification for their own good. Right. And if we're sort of seeking the instant gratification route, are we even verifying our sources? Exactly. So what do you personally do uh, in terms of verifying your sources? Do you verify your sources or do you just assume that the things that you normally read are fairly accurate? So I'm a weirdo mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. I don't watch television. I haven't watched television probably in nine or 10 years, possibly longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I deliberately go out of my way to avoid, avoid anything sort of consumerist or that's clear advertising. Okay. Part of why I avoid television. So when I find news, right, I mean, that could be a lot of different things, but I'm going to have a degree of skepticism based on the source, right? right? So if I'm on social media, which I'm typically only on for 
communication for my work, um, I might see something and immediately doubt it, right? If it's on Facebook or Instagram or something, I probably even skim past it. But if it's really interesting, if it, if it holds my attention, it's some big grandiose claim, I'm going to look and find, okay, where did this come from? Are there other sources that are backing this up? You know, I mean, there are plenty of, there aren't a lot, but there are, there are some websites that you can use to verify sources and credibility. And generally speaking, anything I just see on the internet, <laughs> it's not really real until I found four other corroborating sources that Good. actually support right. this, yeah. like two publications. And yeah, normally if I see anything out there, I like at least Google search it at least to try to find at least three different articles or two different articles just to check. And what's the website? Is it? I want to say, is it Snopes is one of the better Snopes ones? Snopes is one of them, Snopes yeah. Snopes is a good verifier. Um, I'm sure there are others, but I don't want to just make blanket statements. Right. So, <laughs> It'd be kind of ironic. Yeah. So I guess one of these things that you had to do is try to verify your news sources. How else has the option to have so many different avenues of information affected your day-to-day -day life? So I'd say that for myself, um, all that it's really done is probably made me limit what I trust for credible information. Mm -hmm. um, I think for others and maybe the society at large, I think it's very dangerous, mm -hmm. um, particularly for those who are older than myself. So people beyond the age of maybe 25 or 30, uh, I, I really get worried because you know there are all of these different sources nowadays, like we talked about, all these different websites or blogs or you know, tweets, right? Of varying veracity. And I worry that because prior generations grew up with, you know, there's pretty good authenticity for claims right. that the news releases. Everybody's held accountable, so you're safe. You'd think. Yeah. But nowadays, there's not that much accountability because, you know, you can't, you can't catch everybody. You can't enforce that on blog posts. Right. So, you know, I fear for, you know, those older relatives that are sharing things mindlessly like they are definitive statements like just eat these nuts and you'll lose 100 pounds <laughs> like you know i mean it's a joke but at the same time there's uh there should be a fair level of fear there yeah there should be right yeah. i mean that's the whole i don't want to get into too much political stuff if we're not doing that no but go ahead there's a whole you know long ongoing conjecture that basically the political realm has been shaped by this lack of fact-checking that people do right. for their news sources, which nowadays, for some people, are social media. Right, exactly. And that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess in that vein, how has news media played a role in shaping public opinion? I mean, it's. I think it has for a really long time. And before the difference, right, when we had limited publication and limited right. audience reach, it only shaped small communities, except, you know, you'd have national publications that have some greater breadth, mm -hmm. um, but not quite to the degree of nowadays where one person can make one sort of just last minute internet post right. and it shapes the minds of millions of people. I guess the only thing I would say is that I also think that there's some good that's come out of it in the sense that back in the day, you'd probably stick with your local newspaper. You wouldn't, like your um, community newspaper, you wouldn't try to really expand into the world view. But nowadays with all the information coming in with you, you have no choice but to try to see every aspect of it, or at least try to absorb information from around the world instead of just in your little city or whatever. Or your bubble. Your bubble, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so what news sources do you personally look into? Are there any ones that you find are normally fairly credible? So what I like to do personally, I tend to avoid 
most I don't go out of my way for particular websites. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some forums that I browse, um, such as Reddit, which are decently good at categorizing particular decent, things. Decently good at calling people out if something is And decently isn't. good, yes, exactly, <laughs> of, you know, get our pitchforks and our torches right, because yeah. this person didn't verify their sources, right. depending on which subreddits you're on. Exactly, right? yeah. And so, you know, a lot of even websites like that, mm -hmm. you know, some of it's mindless, right? Some of it's just, you know, kind of bland entertainment. And some of it, you know, like such as our science, mm -hmm. you know, you only allow publications to that site, right? right. So you there's already a level of trust that you can have, right? That where well, you can see the publication, you can see if it was peer reviewed, you can, you know, read the author notes, that's available to you. But then, you know, there's other subreddits like our news, <laughs> which is going to have, you know, highly variable <laughs> authenticity, right? Because all they require is you post from some news, news site. site. Yeah. What determines a news site? Just Anything you want. It. Make your own news site. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I agree, though. I think that, you know, the availability to global sources now, it's a, it's a good and bad thing. And I think in a, an intelligent society, the pros outweigh the cons. Mm -hmm. But do we live in an intelligent society? <laughs> it's, it depends on who you ask. So what do you think the ideal situation would be in terms of news media? Do you have a vision of the future where you're like, uh, news media would be the best if it was like this? Um, maybe if there was some degree of unbiased, verifiable fact-checking that was required for all. But mm. how do we establish that, right? That's when the government steps in and then oh. you've got your own <laughs> issues. And is that a good idea? <laughs> um, I think a lot of people would argue it's not. Exactly. So, um, so who's the, you know, then we'd who's have the, a third party. Our arbitrary source, yeah. Yeah, do we have a, a um, private arbitrary. individual? Yeah. Is that any better than a government? Yeah, because who's assigning the private individual? Exactly. Who's right. paying for it? I mean... We assume they're making some money off of it, so... So are we saying there is absolutely no way of uh, news media ever being perfect? Um, well, I should, you know, this is definitely in my wheelhouse since I did study philosophy at UNC, and we <laughs> like to talk about ideals. Please, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, right, in an ideal scenario, you can sort of pick everything, right? right. You can pick, well, who are your people, right? Do you have a just government? Right. I mean, going back to ancient philosophy, Plato even raises a whole interesting question about what justice even is mm -hmm. and you might think it's sarcastic but he really meant this that justice is really just enforcing what the powerful and the wealthy want that's exactly what it is so you know do we want a just government probably not unless we have the wealth and the power so i mean is there really an ideal society i think possibly okay so i guess in terms of just going along with that if you're going to define a justice idea as the most rich and powerful, wouldn't you rather have that than no justice at all? I guess in this sense, I'm trying to say, would you rather have some form of news rather than no news at all? Some form of news? Some form of news media, some form of communication between everybody, rather than having it be completely unverifiable, completely... Uh... I think probably the, you know, the way that we can carve out the ideals lesson mm -hmm. for our practical reality um, is, right, we don't want to say no, nothing, right? We don't want to just totally block out news. It's important. I mean, for some people, that's what motivates them to keep on going. Right. So I'd say 
what's more important is that we have an educated audience. Right. So it's less important that all of the news is great and correct 100% of the time, right? In some cases, it's bad to hold news media super accountable because then news publications are going to be skeptical about something pressing. Maybe they should release now, but they haven't verified everything. But it's right. time sensitive, so. So how would you describe yourself in terms of how your relation to news you media is? You could say that my position is a journalist. Right. You know? So as a journalist, how do you feel about that idea of time crunch versus importance? I mean, I think it's very dependent on the story. Okay. So that's, I mean, that definitely ties into my project since typically the way that documentaries work. Feature would you, would you like to talk a little bit about your project real quick? Just mention it. Just a quick shout out, right? So let's get the background really quick and then I'll do a little thing about it. Uh -huh. um, documentaries tend to take, at least feature lengths, tend to take a couple of years. Right. So because it's, it's a long process. Yeah. It's, it's kind of similar to anyone from academia. It's similar to performing research. You have to do some stuff, quite a bit usually, right. sometimes a third or half of your end goal before anyone's going to fund you, support you, or believe in you. Right. Um, unless you've been doing it for a really long time. But then presumably you're spending a lot of your own money still because you've accrued some. So typically what happens is you spend several months, you do a bunch of research, you figure out whatever your story is, and then you go, you get all of your gear, you get your people, and you do it. And then you present for funding. Several months later, you get some funding, and then you finish the product. That's how they usually work. But for the particular story that I am covering and making a feature film about, it is something that has been affecting millions of people. It is affecting their their health and the health of their loved ones on a national and global scale and has been for several decades. In my opinion, it should have been out, this news should have been out probably 40 years ago. It, sh it shouldn't have been ongoing for so long. And do you think it was hush-hush because of like government interference or do you think just people didn't think it was important enough to talk about? So I, I won't go too much into the details, especially with government, but I will say there were private institutions who are definitely partly accountable, um, as well as governmental bodies who are also accountable. They were aware of this information very long ago, okay. possibly almost as early as when it all began. Wow. Um, that being said, basically, yes, hush hush was the policy. Instead of maybe we should stop doing this, hey, maybe you private institutions should stop making this or stop exposing the public to it. It was, mm, I don't know, we make a lot of money like this and it's pretty hard to come up with alternatives. Let's just keep doing it. And, you know, 60 or so years later, here we are and everyone's talking about it because suddenly a bunch of communities are up in arms. Okay. So... The organizations themselves knew about this, but did the news media have access to this, like uh, conventional news media sources? That's, that's hard to say. So there had been, from my understanding, for at least the past 15 or so years, there had been some news media that would release information about this. Okay. Um, the problem that I have seen is that, so a journalist doesn't need to have a degree in chemistry or a degree in biology or you know any sort of qualification that would allow them to really understand the whole issue. Right. The issue is very complicated. And so on top of having limited knowledge of the material, 
they also were tending to cover in localized communities. So they were missing a bigger picture. And, and part of that is, it's not their fault. Um, I mean, generally, if you're a journalist, you're paying attention to your community, right? right. Even if you're a national journalist. Um, and it's only been recently, so since the 90s or early 2000s, that studies have uncovered the degree of exposure. Okay, okay. So it's a combination of things. Right. Well, that all sounds really interesting. Hopefully we can get you on for another episode at some point in the future, talking about your documentary. Good plug. Good plug? <laughs> yeah. So I guess talking about the local, local news sources, like you mentioned, how they weren't really able to see beyond the scope of their small communities. Mm -hmm. Do you think we've grown past local news sources as a society? Do you think they're no longer as important as they once were? I think they're certainly dying in certain communities. Um, that being said, as we've mentioned, older generations who grew up on these, you know, they tend to have a bit of faith and probably some personal investment, maybe a financial investment in those, right? Mm -hmm. They like their radio hosts or they like their news broadcasters. Right. And they've known them growing up. They've yeah. known them. There's a personal attachment. And maybe that also means that they trust that news at a level that they will never trust the national news. Mm. So it, to some extent, I would say they've almost strengthened in terms of the connection that some audience members have. But then, right, for newer generations who don't have that history, don't have that right. background, why should they care? <laughs> There's so many different sources now. You know, what makes them better? So you think we're phasing out of local news? Do you think maybe in the next, let's say, 50 years, people will no longer have any local news sources that they can look back on? Or will it all be uh, national broadcasts or like social media news and stuff like that? I think it'll definitely get some trimming down. I'm skeptical, or how should I say? I don't know if I believe that they'll just disappear. I think that there will probably be a demand for local news always okay but how that gets around is very likely to change right especially since we see so many local news stations going bankrupt recently so there's there's definitely a pressure on them to be producing more and more content more and more bringing in more and more viewers and they don't seem to be able to keep pace with the millennial generation or any of the newer generations so what do you think the most important role of news media in society is what do you think its job what do you think its purpose is in our lives I mean, you know, just based on the title, it would be to present new information. Right. right? And presenting of the information, do you think that serves more of a watchdog purpose? Or do you think uh, that's only something that the smaller regions would really account for? Do you want to define watchdog in this sense? Uh, so in the sense that, I guess, a lot of news media is t typically defined as being a watchdog for the government, uh, making sure that whatever the government does, we are aware of it, or we have the ability to be aware of it, rather. Uh, and so in that sense, do you think that's its primary role or why it was first created? Or do you think that there are other roles it also serves that are slightly more nuanced? So I think in terms of its creation, I, I support that news came around for information, right? Um, but the thing is for any business, right? And news is a business. Um, you have to find your revenue source right. and the revenue source which they quickly realized was, well, we want to have viewers, right? It started with a very good, a very noble cause. Let's educate people, let's share information. But when you're doing it for profit, you have to maintain that budget. You have to keep viewers in. And sometimes, right, especially as societies change, you know, those interests change. So 
before people watch the news just for the knowledge, right? What's happening? You know, what's been going on with sports? What's happening in my community? Are people hurt? What's new with science? And then things shift, right? Because as we've said, there's all these different sources, there's competition. So now we have to downgrade some of these local media sources, all of these news sources, because we have to compete. So instead of having very useful, you know, very helpful educational information, we switch to what are kind of visceral or guttural sort of bodily desires almost? What are these... I mean, really, you could say clickbait-style stories. Right, yeah. So celebrity news or a bunch of other BS that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, fair. Um, I guess in that vein, um, I guess in that sense, a lot of the news that we see on social media, like Facebook and stuff, is typically political these days. We don't really see much scientific news or scientific breakthroughs. I have a circle that I follow that posts almost exclusively scientific news, which is why I'm so up to date on it. But I don't think a lot of my friends are as up to date. How do you, do you think that's gonna change with future political cycles? Do you think this one is just particularly nasty? Or do you think um, that that's gonna be this new standard from now and that's how people get their political news and that's gonna be the most popular thing to have? I mean, I think it's definitely aggressive almost, the, the stance that, you know, all of these political bodies have recognized we can control what someone is regularly exposed to on social media if they are not very technologically literate, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't know how to go into your Facebook page or your MySpace page and you don't know how to skim out all of this political stuff, or maybe it's cat pictures or some other third thing. If you don't know how to do that and curate your own exposure, mm -hmm. you're going to basically be exposed to whatever the bodies at large want you to be exposed to. Right. I think that's definitely true for older generations. Right. And I guess you were saying you were, were you a journalism major when you were studying? At just any, philosophy. Just philosophy. Just philosophy and chemistry. Right. At any point, have you like looked into the history of journalism? Like why, when journalism first started or why it was first uh, introduced? I mean, it's been around forever, obviously, ever since any system of power has been around. Somebody has had to be there to report it, whether it be through the government or through the people. When When is the most recent like revolutionary change in news media been? I mean, probably with the age of the internet. Right. Right. So, I mean, I wouldn't claim myself an expert at all, mm -hmm. far from it, but it's, it's very obvious that as technology shifts, this is true in pretty much any case, it causes huge changes on a social level. Right. So, and that's pretty much all the reasons we talked about. Do you think there's going to be another shift in the future, in the near future? Do you think we are probably at a area where technology has gone as, as far as it can in terms of revolutionizing news media we're just going to have to, we're, this is just going to be how it is for the rest of our lives. Um, I actually want to follow up on that last statement. So I said internet, mm -hmm. um, and this leads me to actually a different, more recent change. So okay. the internet changed a lot of stuff, but even more recently, um, a, a change that people haven't really recognized necessarily um, is how algorithms are now shaping right. basically everything we experience online but also offline in some cases or with devices that we use. So, and that is... Do you, do you want to explain a bit about, uh, just to give an example of what you mean by algorithms? Sure. So let's, you know, take, for example, the social media case. Like we said, some people don't curate their own feed, let's say, for a given website. 
So they are basically exposed to what an algorithm, i.e. a predetermined, almost autonomous, you can think of it like a computer, where it's, it's taken all these inputs from the user, so whatever our person is, John. Mm -hmm. So John likes fishing, and John is past 40, and John is a longstanding Republican, okay? And so these points, right, for this computer, these variables, John being class 40, John being a Republican, and John liking fishing are all plugged into the algorithm, and the algorithm says, great, this guy likes all these things, Let's expose him to fishing things. Let's expose him to things that are Republican-oriented. Let's expose him to things that people beyond the age of 40 like. Is that a problem? Is it a problem? It's hard to say because algorithms, you know, while they were invented by people, are sort of out of the control of people. Hmm. So in some sense, it should be a little frightening <laughs> to think, you know, we created these things that can systematize and simplify, in a sense, how... Maybe your website presents information, right. but they're out of our control in another sense, right? They kind of happen and they build off of themselves at a point that we as people don't necessarily understand how they function anymore. We know how we started them, but when they're constantly building and learning, they almost leave the control of the creator. Right. I remember reading, uh, watching a while ago, CGP Grey video. If you've ever seen him, he yes. had a really good video about this stuff. Uh, exactly if anybody's right. interested, I guess... In that sense, even though that in the long run, there could be some problems that arise from this sort of thing, were they originally made, which, since they were originally made, I assume, with the purpose of advertising and uh, pushing you towards buying things, do you think inherently that's a bad thing? Because people were looking for things to buy anyways, otherwise they wouldn't be on those platforms. So I think, I mean, you're, I support the claim insofar as the claim that advertising non, is not inherently bad, mm -hmm. um, insofar as it it can be you know non-malicious right? right in some sense as a business owner you have to advertise to some extent right you people will not just show up to your place of business and give you money unless they know about you or like you or, or like your product you. or have heard about you right. right it's very rare that you have you know your fishing shop owner who's standing there and just all of a sudden five people show up and i want to buy this just cuz i felt like it you know some third party you know, reached me in the middle of the night and told me to go visit you. No, it's more likely that in the middle of the night you saw an advertisement on your smartphone mm -hmm. and decided I'm going to go to Bill's fishing shop tomorrow. Right. So in some sense, it's not inherently bad. But when algorithms come into play, I think it's very dangerous. And I think we should, as consumers, be very concerned. I mean, I said earlier, I don't, I actively avoid advertising that is because I don't trust that a third party or a company who's spending money to get me to buy something is the best source for the quality of their product. Okay, yeah, okay, that's definitely true. I mean, uh, I mean, growing up, you always see people buying on like, uh, what, what were they called, like HSN, like the, the shopping network and stuff like that. And I don't think much has changed in the way of that though, because even back then people were buying off televisions, now they're just buying off of Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I think, the media has transferred, like the avenue from which you're being attacked has transferred, but I don't think the fundamental nature of why people are doing this or their intent has ever changed, I guess, in my opinion. And I support that. Okay, I yeah. I support that. I, I um, probably, if I had been, you know, in my 20s or 30s back then, mm -hmm. right, if we were, you know, a couple decades back, 
I still would have been avoiding those. No, yeah. I like to, if I'm going to purchase something, uh-huh. I'm not I, going to trust an advertisement. I'm going to look out and do my, my research. research but, yeah. I mean, that's the difference between me and maybe your average person right. who is more open to advertising. To be fair, you can see that I've like spent like weeks researching how to buy a mic and I still haven't bought, <laughs> see, there we uh, go. So bought a mic. Some people yeah. like to do their research yeah. and others maybe out of convenience or they don't have the time or maybe they have a lot of money and they don't care. Right, exactly. They'll just go with whatever. Do you think people can get by without actually paying attention to the news? Do you think that news media is a mandatory lifestyle these days? I mean, I kind of think that you know, just in terms of how the questions phrased, no one ever had to be exposed to news. Right, exactly. And you could certainly flourish in some sense, in your own sense, as a hermit hmm. or, you know, as someone that's very socially outgoing but doesn't watch the news. Here, let me let me rephrase that a bit. Instead of saying no access at all, I mean tangentially access. Like your friend tells you about something, so you know about it. Uh, but you're not actively seeking out any news. You're not actively like searching on social media and you kind of ignore and you scroll past all the uh, videos and stuff. So do you think that in order to really understand what's, obviously to understand what's going on in the world, you probably need some access to it, but do you think you needed to live a fulfilled life? Um, Again, this is terrible to ask a philosophy major because (laughs) nothing can be answered simply. So I would say um, in in a simplified sense, it really depends on the person, right? So if your interests, you know, whatever they might be, you you do want to satisfy those to some extent. So right. if you're really into what's going on in biology or what's going on in the technological realms, mm-hmm. you're going to to be up to date to really fulfill your interest. Right. You're going to find out what the news is right mm-hmm. through some means or another and you if you don't do that you will fall behind in your interests but that's not true for all interests some interests there's not a ton of rapid advancement right right so if i am going back to my example i forgot the guy's name already but my 40 year old republican who loves fishing john john right <laughs> so i'm john and i really like fishing Right. I'm sure there's plenty of advancements nowadays with technology and different types of lures mm-hmm. or different ways of fishing. But also some people pride themselves on tradition. So they don't want to be exposed to all the new ways because the old way worked fine. Right. Why would I change it? So and those people, you know, in some sense, you could say they're fulfilled. They probably feel happy whether or not that's good for them or the society in the long run. I would argue it possibly damaging. Okay. All right. Do you think it's our responsibility as millennials to do so, to listen to the news and be informed? As millennials or just as people? Um, as people in general, but uh, since this podcast is about millennials, uh-huh. that uh, mandatory to, to, uh, the copyright needs to put the name in at some point during right. the podcast. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I certainly think, you know, if we're trying to be individuals as millennials who are positively impacting our planet or our local communities, we do have to have some degree of awareness of what's going on. You can't fix a problem if you don't know about it. Well, you could, but that's, I shouldn't have even said that. You could technically fix a problem without being aware of it. But generally speaking, bigger problems, you're not accidentally fixing those. You have to be aware of them. You have to know what is the source. You have to know what tools you need. So, in that sense, I think it is 
necessary to be a responsible person building their community, helping their community, or helping the world, you have to be aware of what's happening. So in that sense, yes, there's a responsibility to be aware. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Elijah. I really appreciated it. Uh, if you would like to like give the name of your document uh, documentary, I can't say documentary. 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 Thank you. There you go. Would you like to give the name of your documentary to the listeners just so they can take a look at some point? Yeah, we can talk about it again later. But the name of the film is Gen X: A Chemical Cocktail. It'll be coming out sometime next year, okay. and we'll put a link in the description and the yep. doobly doo and blah blah blah. <laughs> awesome. Um, any concluding thoughts? Um, Special thanks to Adzerk for sponsoring this video. I wish. <laughs> uh, you got to release a bunch before you can start asking. Oh my god! Just if you're an ad revenue ad, ad revenue company, just uh, just like shoot me hit me an email. Like I need it. <laughs> yeah, definitely include that. That that'll sound professional. That'll sound professional. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you, man. If you like what you've heard, you can find us on Gmail, Twitter, and Facebook at Pod Millennials, because Millennial Minute was taken on every single platform I tried. Um, we also finally got onto Pocket Casts and Spotify, along with a ton of other platforms. That's for all of you who said iTunes hasn't really been updating or working out for you. We're going to start putting up polls to see what topics you guys want us to discuss, so be sure to check those out. And as always, if you have a story to tell, we're listening, so please let us know. If you wanted to find out more about Elijah's documentary, Google Gen X, A Chemical Cocktail. And if you didn't catch our cleverly disguised plugs, we'll be doing a full episode on the documentary in the coming months. All of the links are in the description. Oh, and also, we have no idea if it helps or not, but if you could rate us on iTunes and stuff, that would be fantastic. Go out and make the world a little bit better, Millennials. And I'll see you next time on the Millennial Minute.